Michelle Donnelly, and this is the Christian Single Moms Podcast. I believe that every single mom can discover a life of peace, power, and purpose, and that you can do it right through the things that God is carrying you through in your season as a single mom. Here we talk about all of the things that matter to a single mom, but most of all, I hope you found a place where you feel like you belong. Let's get started. Thanks for being with me today. I'm your host, Michelle Donnelly. When I got divorced, I felt as though I was just handing my kids a disadvantage. And the thought really terrified me. And no matter how you ended up in this single mom season, there are obstacles now that you and your children have to overcome that you probably did not plan for and did not anticipate. However, we do have the ability to become resilient and to teach our kids how to bounce back as well. I'm joined in this conversation by Dr. Rhonda Spencer Huang, and she just recently released a book called Raising Resilient Kids, Eight Principles for Bringing Up Healthy, Happy, Successful Children Who Can Overcome Obstacles and Thrive Despite Adversity. Her research is actually really fascinating. She connected with people who have all lived to age 100 from all over the place, and she discovered that one of the keys to longevity for these people was overcoming obstacles. And in this conversation, she's going to share with us more about her research and what she's discovered about raising kids who bounce back. If you're enjoying the podcast, would you take a moment and leave a ranking or a review wherever it is that you listen to this podcast? It helps other women to find our community and just let them know that there's a place that they belong. Also, down in the show notes, if you are new to the podcast, you'll notice a link to a quiz. It's called What's Your Loneliness Type? Loneliness is something that all of us single moms have to deal with, but the reasons why we deal with loneliness are different, and they don't necessarily have that much to do with whether or not we're in a relationship. So if you'd like to learn more about your own experience with loneliness, what's causing it, and then some of the ways out, go ahead and click on that link or head over to agapemoms.com forward slash quiz. Rhonda was such a treat to chat with because though she did this research and wrote this book, she's a mom just like the rest of us, and she reveals some of her struggles as well. Here is my conversation with Dr. Rhonda Spencer Huang. Rhonda, I'm excited to have you with me today. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Michelle. I'm happy to be here. Rhonda, I love this concept of resiliency. I'm hearing more and more about it in not only the parenting community, but also in the trauma recovery community. And so I'd like it to know if you could start us off with an understanding of what resiliency really is and what goes into that. So um, from my background, looking at it as, so my background is I'm an epidemiologist and a public health professor and have health promotion programs. So that's how I approach really resiliency. And also um, my own three kids, my youngest at the time was one when I did this research. But when I think of resiliency, I think of it as your bounce back 
with whatever you're facing in life. It's your ability to bounce back and to go on and live a life full of meaning and blessing. And so I imagine as you're standing on a tennis court and you have an egg in one hand and you have a tennis ball in the other and adversity is the ground, right? And so mm-hmm. you drop them both, the egg is not, it's very fragile, right? But the tennis ball bounces back. And I think of that as like our body, right? So the outer core of the tennis is like your body. The inner covering of the ball is like your mind and the inner space is like your spirit. So your your whole person is made of your mind, your body, and your spirit. And really resiliency is how do you focus on all of those to make them as strong and, and withstand whatever's coming our way, right? And, and let me tell you what is coming our way from my epi perspective is, you know, we have all kinds of things going on from this massive pandemic to flooding and fires. And, you know, these are major challenges. And even the pandemic itself can be a major, you know, adverse experience for families. So how do I help you, um, you know, through my research, become as strong as you can. So when we're facing these storms in life, you, you can steady your boat. Mm, I love that phrase too. This is about bouncing back. And I think many women who are listening can say, yep, I'm in a season of that right now. And I think you're pointing to something really important here though, about adversity and how this is actually part of the experience of learning how to bounce back and how to take stress as a prompt for taking good care of ourselves actually, so that we can become stronger And a lot of women, I have to say, and I've been in this situation too, feel really guilty though about the circumstances that we find ourselves in, even if it's not necessarily all of our fault, but we might feel like we were not able to shield our children from these adverse experiences that we wish that they didn't have. This was not what we had planned for them. But in your research and sort of what you're talking about a little here is that that adversity actually can be an advantage. Can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, um, and and one of the things, you know, as parents, you know, we all do this is we we try to go for this perfect life we have in our mind, there's this perfect, right? And so one of the things in my book, um, in Raising Resilient Kids, is the first thing I put out there is to share my own uh, tragic flaws, my own downfall, my own hidden shame, because here I am a public health professor, yet my husband has high cholesterol, I have high cholesterol, I got diagnosed. Now I don't, but back then I did. And my kid, my, one of my kids had escalating weight problems. And I thought here I'm going in the public and telling them, do this, do this, do this. And then my own life was fly by the seat of my pants, eat out of my purse, because I don't know if the next meal is coming. I've got things to grade and everything. And then on that surface, you're, you're smiling wave at the pickup and look like you got it all together. Right. And so this was my hidden. And the more I, the more I did this, the more I felt humongously guilty. People were coming all around the world to see where I live. Cause I live in this area where we have a lot of centenarians and like this longevity capital. So they'd call me from the university and say, can a film crew from Belgium come and film you and your family in your home? And we need to see in your pantry. And I would think, my word, I got to clean out my pantry. I got to make this stage life, right? Like really this was, you know, live TV. And then finally one day I thought, this is crazy. I want to go see what the centenarians actually would have, what advice they have for us. And Michelle, once I started this journey of researching them, I wasn't prepared for what I thought to live to a hundred. And these guys have extraordinary lives. I mean, 
from a surgeon, a world, you know, renowned surgeon, the first doing heart surgery in Pakistan when heart surgery wasn't even invented, really. Mm. And to another who's setting world records for climbing mountains, and she had no mountaineering experience. To others who were physicians and everything in between. I thought you had to have an easy childhood to get there, right? A silver swim. I was more wrong than I could have ever imagined. They had trauma like I wasn't prepared to see. Wow. Um, Stuff that would blow us away. They weren't all born here. Some were born in other countries and eventually Mm -hmm. they came here. But the trauma that they would have is, of course, death in a family. Because let me tell you, they lived through the Spanish flu of 1918, right? And Mm -hmm. we're somewhat experiencing that today. But they lost family. They lost siblings. They lost parents. Uh, There was divorces in the family. Um, they lived in poverty. They One didn't even have shoes until she was 13 years of age. Mm. Living in poverty, the mental illness. One mom of a centenarian, she had a breakdown and had to go to the neighbor care for her. And, and when I'm listening to these stories and I started calculating their ACE score. So we will hear this adverse childhood experiences, right? If they have one of these, um, they start counting the numbers. And so when I started counting the numbers for these guys, their minimum score was four. Right. Mm-hmm. And by two, they say you're going to have chronic illness, you're going to drop out of school, you're going to have all these things happen. And then I was kind of astounded. One today, she's 108. Her minimum ACE score was six. Wow. And they say six, it should shorten your life by 20 years. Mm-hmm. So this is the first community where I see, oh my word, the adversity is, it didn't shorten their life, it didn't hinder their life. I think it actually helped to shape them to what they went on to be. So mm-hmm. these are people that went, became missionaries around the world, teaching and sharing with others this hope and healing. So if this test actually became their story, right? They went mm-hmm. around. So if parents are worried, you know, a lot of us are worried, right? Like we want the perfect, but I think it's more focus on the journey and the things you can do and what your purpose is in life. It's, you know, living each day on purpose. Mm-hmm. So that's what the centenarians, one of the things I learned was, um, taking this and not allowing it to, you know, harm you, but how do you move on and go from this and live an extraordinary life? And that's what they did. Wow. So many gems in what you just said. So many, it just points to the fact that God's not done with us, that though we might experience these very difficult things, that it is possible for this to be something that shapes us and shapes our kids And that we have the ability to do some very specific things to care for ourselves in the face of trauma and stress to come out better on the other side. And something I was very encouraged about in your work is that you identified eight resiliency factors. And these are things we can do. These are not things that we have to go to a lot of expensive therapy for or different retreats or training programs. These are very everyday kinds of things. Can you describe very quickly what those eight are? So the centenarians, they had to walk everywhere they went um, to school. And and oftentimes this was an hour a day one way, right? To get to church, Mm -hmm. to get to school. Uh, They didn't have um, all the fancy equipment for doing much of anything. So they did a lot of walking and it was outdoors in nature. So that was because they were farmers, their time outdoors was tremendous. And we see from research that just 20 minutes, even outdoors in nature, your stress level already drops. And Mm -hmm. sadly, that's one of the things that is shrinking from childhood is that time outside in Mm -hmm. active moment, right? Mm -hmm. So active and time in nature. The next is uh, simple foods. 
they weren't completely vegetarian, but let me tell you, they had to grow and eat whatever they grew because they didn't have the money. In fact, one of them pointed out a centenary and said, there wasn't even a store. Where would you mm. buy it? Right? So now we kind of have this life of excess. It's harder to pick. But what I say is the simpler, the better. And the meals were eaten, prepared at home, eaten at home. So I know it's hard um, as career mom. One of the things I try to do is protect that fringes at that time when it's about to become mealtime because there's more going on there than just the the food that you're going to consume. So Mm -hmm. simple. It's more plant-based and rest. As the pandemic is coming and going, we may find ourselves like staying up later. You know, Um, the centenarians were strict about when they went to bed and when they got up because they didn't have electricity. There was no light, Mm -hmm. was no Mm -hmm. internet. So they went to bed and they didn't have sleep number. They didn't have any of these. There was no melatonin. There was no, (laughs) right. And they said um, they didn't have a problem going to sleep, you know, and sleep has become, uh, I think, 24 or $42 billion industry. Mm, Wow. Probably because it's also linked to time in nature. If you're Mm. out in nature, your body tends to get better in sync with your rest when you need it. So a lot of these things you're going to see eventually. And in my book, I talk about how they overlap and how they off the stress and the stress you feel. So um, rest is one. The next is a faith foundation. Okay, so they they weren't all the same. They came from various backgrounds, but they had a faith. They had a connection with a faith community. And so I really recommend. And for one of them, she said, when the Great Depression hit, that was where they found their connection, right? That was mm-hmm. where that they went for answers and support. While other people were actually, it was sad, they were ending their lives when that happened. She said their community, they went to the church and rallied together. Wow. Yeah. Another is your connection with family, right? And even friends. That connection is so important. One of the centenarians uh, was, uh, the, uh, her father was the last child of slave parents. So she's African-American and the child, the father was a child of slave parents. So this probably started in his childhood was the time coming together for dinner. And it was very important. And they went around and asked every child, how did your day go? What did you do? How did you respond? Was there any adversity? How did you handle it? Should we handle it differently? And um, I think it's a legacy of of resiliency right there in that asking. Mm -hmm. And when her mom, the centenarian, her mom passed away, it was so important for the dad to keep that up because that's how they handled the trauma that came, right? Mm -hmm. They lived in a Caucasian community and um, things weren't always so nice to them. And so it was how they handled and mm-hmm. how they and how they um, live that way. The next is um, positive mind. So the centenarians lived with a very open mindset. Their circumstances around them told them, you shouldn't try to be a physician. You have no money. How are you going to get to med school? Why are you going to think about setting records, doing any of this? Um, their circumstances were very limited, but their mindset was unlimited, right? They mm. set goals that didn't matter. And they would pray a lot about their goals and really on their walks in nature, getting to school. Yeah. yeah, Right. They would talk Mm -hmm. a lot about where in my life am I going to be? And that is so powerful to teach our children that connection and being able to set those goals. And their childhood, you can tell, was probably not the happiest one for many of them. But they believed that the actions they took is going to offset the hardships in their life. It's going to get better. 
Mm. And so teaching that. And the last is uh, the helping hand. So they really supported one another. Um, it, it was like a village, right? And and so we, I know it's really hard with our um, mobile society today. We move and go new places or we don't have the family nearby, but really having the strength of friendships, right? Coming together, um, what, you know, to help one another. I think we need that more now than ever. And, mm-hmm. even, you know, um, moms everywhere, um, we we can use this. And so it's really, and it's, it's kind of lowering what, you know, I say um, showing up with love, right. And lowering your, your expectation of how that support's going to look right. You have to give, but you also have to be willing to receive. And sometimes even myself, I feel like I, I can't allow them to help me. I might feel like I'm a place of, of, you know, weakness or something, but mm-hmm. that's my own misconception. And one mm-hmm. of the things I found was moms, I met some of them, my single mom friends at school where I met dropping off my own daughter, they were looking for connections just as much as I was. And we both felt like we couldn't share that. And it was our daughters that actually brought us together and yeah. us to start sharing, right? Funny yeah. how we have a way of doing that, but those are the eight. And the beauty of the eight is you're going to see that they overlap, they connect. So while we try to practice what I call a la carte help, yes, can, I want to be a vegan. No, I'm a, you know, I'm a nature lover, right? We need it all together because this is where you really um, attack the stress in your life. Stress mm. works, stress works uh, synergy with other stressors. So like, mm. Air pollution is a stress on your body, right? If you live like me in Southern California and you need all the help you can to balance that, but it also magnifies the impact of ACEs, okay? And mm. ACEs, you know, and, and the day-to-day stressors or living through a pandemic, they all magnify one another. So you need an approach that offsets that magnified stress. Well, yeah, the resiliency principles, they work together positively um, and synergistically to offset that. And so that's the, that's really the key. And I think one of the, one of the greatest things I learned through this, I did all of this before the pandemic. And I thought, wow, to me, I was more prepared for that adversity than I ever would have been. Even as an epidemiologist, I was more prepared doing these simple things. It really helped me bring my family back together and Mm. my cholesterol better and other things. Yes. I love the idea of overlapping these two, because I think if we looked at all eight individually, we would be overwhelmed. We'd say, oh my goodness, I don't sleep well. I don't have a great eating habit strategy. I don't exercise or I don't get enough. I'm never outside. You know, Our modern lives are not built around these eight things. But if I think about, for example, this morning, I took my youngest to a coffee shop. It didn't fit in the simple foods criteria. I can admit that. But it was something that, you know, this coffee shop, though, is within walking distance of the house. And so you have the ability to be outside. That's exercise, even though we're just walking to the corner. And there were people that we knew. I wasn't intending to meet anybody, but there were people, friends and family. So there was a connection there. And there was a woman that overheard a conversation I was having with a friend and said, I couldn't help but over here, but um, I'm getting baptized this weekend. I hear you guys are believers. I'm getting baptized. Would you pray for me? And so we prayed for her right there. And that was the faith foundation, you know? So it's like, here you have the ability in one simple activity to add three or four of these things together without even really putting too much effort into it. It's just being aware that these eight exist and then saying, okay, 
how could I tack these? On? How could I tack another one on? And we actually, after reading your book, my kids and I wrote this on the uh, whiteboard in our kitchen. <laughs> and so it's things that we can point to say, okay, you know, hey, how can we add one of these in today? And usually, as you said, time outside is tough for the kids. And for different kids, it's a different thing. My son, time outside is easy for him. He looks for every opportunity to go play with the boys across the street. But when it comes to all of us, those spending time together outside, in your book, you mentioned things like even having a little garden out there that just getting your hands in the dirt can be helpful or you know, all sorts of different things that you just have to start experimenting though. And I think when we view this with an, a lens of creativity, there's actually some freedom here versus thinking about, oh, I have to have an active life. That means I need to I get a gym membership or, or I need to you know, get a, a um, some kind of workout space set aside in my room. And those are great if you can do that. But sometimes that that itself, the preparation and all of that can become the barrier to actually accessing some of these things. But if we're talking about, for example, though, you know, we want to start somewhere though. We want to get a quick win where we feel like, okay, you know, how can I start to maybe pick off one of these? Maybe there's one area that could be kind of a cascade for opening up the door on a lot of these things. What would you say would be like the best one to start with? So, so I say everyone's different, all right? And and I usually say start with the nature, but what I realized is you have to know your strengths to help you shore up your weaknesses, right? Mm-hmm. And so you'll know which category is your strength. There's a survey in the book um, and it deals with each category and asks you questions. And then you find out which of those, if you don't know already, which of those might be your strengths. And then you use that and you go from that one. Okay, if your strength is connections with family, then maybe using that to help drive your time outdoors. Can you do more stuff? Can you walk to your sister-in-law's house, right? And so can you, um, you know, do things, head to the park um, nearby and connect with that? Using whatever one is your strength to help you increase your others and finding ways. And by the way, you, you touched on a good point. The goal is not to increase more stress. We already live this frantic life, right? A very, in fact, most of the parenting styles today are stress-based, right? Mm. You have the helicopter, you have the snow blower, snow plow, the leaf blower, the lawnmower. All of these come from a place of remove all adversity and you're, it's enormous stress for the parent, right? And that's what, if you ask around your friends, that's mostly what they're doing. And mm. so you're already distressed, right? Resiliency parenting is no, you're not going to be able to remove all the adversity and that's not your job. That's God. Mm. Right. So stop, stop trying to take God's job. You just set some women free right now. (laughs) (laughs) That's God's job. You Mm -hmm. have to go through it. Right. And it is going to help you. It is going to strengthen you. Right. Because some of the the best characteristics come out through some of the most painful times I've been through. I've lost a, you know, loved ones. And on the other side of that hill, I see the growth of how that really strengthened me as a Christian, as a mom, as a wife. Okay, so the adding stress to your life is not the ticket, right? Those kind of um, parenting styles is not good. It's really in the taking these eight and really adapting them in your life. And your your time closet is 24 hours a day. You can't get any more. So when you're doing new, new, new things, like trying new things like this, you have to start taking out your old clothes. You're not going to hang on to your entire calendar as it is. You're going to have to really do an inventory and and shuffle and start thinking how, what is it that I prioritize, right? And if 
you know, and this parenting style, let me tell you, it's not just for the kids. It's for us too. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and um, because if we are stressed, the house is stressed. Uh, we speed up our aging clock, right? We want to be around here a long time. So we got to get a handle on this now more than ever, now more than ever. I think that's so important. What you just pointed to there, as far as being really disciplined about our calendar and not overdoing it, because I think that's something that's celebrated in our culture is how many activities do your kids do? How many things, how many accolades are they accruing? How their grades are and that kind of stuff. And the fact of the matter is when we experience some significant traumas, we really have to watch that stressometer and figure out, do we need to eliminate some stuff? And this was something that was not, it was not a first line thing for me. I tend to manage stress by overproduction. And God actually worked this out of me through one of my children who, when stress comes, tends to do a lot of self-care. And so she actually was saying, you know what, this activity is too stressful for me. I don't want to do it anymore. And I said, are you sure? Are you sure? Me thinking like, oh, you're going to need a creative or exercise outlet to feel better. And she was like, no, this is this is too much stress. I don't want to. And I had to really listen and put down what I wanted for her and say, all right. And it was such a gift because in her exam, this is God, you know, working through our kids sometimes, but in her ability to measure her own stress and to say, I need to slow down. It, it caused me to pause and say, you know, maybe this season we just need to huddle around, get some good practices together again and start to learn how to take care of ourselves. And I am a person that self-care did not come easily for me. I was definitely on the self-neglect side of it. And as I've researched more and more about trauma, that the findings are that talk therapy doesn't necessarily always help in the cases of trauma, that many times it is care, that in cases where our bodies are carrying this trauma, we have to do very simple, basic things as far as sleep and eating and rest and all the things that are on this list. And that can be just as impactful for our healing and our kids healing from trauma as expensive therapy treatments and EMDR and stuff like that. I'd like to take a short break from our conversation to mention our sponsor, Faithful Counseling. Faithful Counseling is Christian counseling that is available on the go, and it works through an app where you are able to schedule video sessions or just chat with your counselor throughout the course of the week. And I found that having the combination of Christian teaching and counseling together was so encouraging and so healing for me. If you have been considering Christian counseling and you would like to give Faithful Counseling a try, you can get 10% off of your first month by going to getfaithful.com forward slash single mom. And Michelle, you hit the nail on the head. This is this is the norm in society for everybody right now. Is if your schedule is not triple booked, like in major airlines, right? You aren't you aren't succeeding. And the centenarians, I after researching the centenarians, they are contrary to what we are experiencing. Wow, their schedules were not. They didn't have violin lesson, chess lesson, um, math trainings, and all of these right yeah. like. Like I see, um, you know, that is not the way actually what we're noticing in society is, you know, happiness is, is, is down. Creativity is down. Even success. We wonder why our kids aren't doing as well in school. Mm -hmm. Um, 
well, they have no downtime. There is mm-hmm. no value in the piece. And, you know, another thing that I've noticed is now that my schedule is less full, I find myself talking more with God and figuring out, okay, God, where am I supposed to be? And what about my kids? How do I help guide them better? I have more wow. time for that than yeah. I, right? When is that? You know, and if you have multiple kids as a parent, you feel like every kid needs their own individual three activities a week. Where are they going? Yeah. Yep. So what what we're missing is that strength in the family of connecting together. And because a lot of times these activities, guess when they happen? It's it's at mealtime or after, right? Yeah. They're going to take up your work. And they have studies showing that one of the most powerful times for offsetting the damage of trauma is that mealtime coming mm-hmm. together, right? So yeah. really protect that fringes. And slow that time and don't pack your weekends. It's okay. Um, And I have one, you know, one piece of advice as this pandemic slows and will start receding. um, Things are going to open up. And that feeling of, my goodness, we've lost a year and a half. Get up Mm -hmm. and get going. Mm -hmm. Moms moms are going to feel this. I'm going to feel stressed. And the first thing we're going to do is run to the phone. Okay, what's still available? (laughs) Yes, yes. And I want to tell you, fight the feeling. That, that's not going to help. We're going to see a lot more emotional turmoil in kids as they go back to school and things start to, you know, get better. There's going to be this huge swarm. And I imagine there's going to be more programs popping up, like enroll your kid in this, you know, Albert Einstein camp, mm, you know, yeah, Just yeah. don't fall for it. Fight that feeling slow and steady, right? And you're going to come out even better. Yeah. You know, and I find where, you know, you may enter into single mom season, something traumatic happens, um, that guilt can overtake and, and there can be this tendency to say, how do I overcompensate for this? Or there is the sense that I can't compete. I wish I could, but I can't. So now I feel bad about that. But that these are actually opportunities for us to reset, just as the pandemic has been opportunities for us to reset and really dig into what is important though, when it comes to shepherding my kids' hearts walking them through this difficult season of life and really giving them tools, life to, life tools, life skills to come out as adults and have the ability to handle future challenges. It's in these seasons where we can actually say, actually, this is a gift. Actually, yeah. this, this anxiety I'm feeling is teaching me to slow down or this, this guilt that I feel. Let's explore that. Is that real? Is that a truth? Is that the lie? You know, and and we have to sometimes, it's hard sometimes to discern if we've, you know, always done it a certain way, if all of our friends do it a certain way, you know, you may have this sense of like, oh, we're missing out, you know, and this kind of thing. But there is such a joy in the connectivity. And I think that's what in this season of healing for me and my kids has been so wonderful is though I have felt disconnected in some ways, just from the fallout of divorce and the way that things happen, I think that we feel as a family unit, me and my kids, so much more connected. And it's understanding though, our family restructured, but it's not gone. We had a restructuring, but it's still here. And so it's getting to just clear the calendar and start figuring out ways to let these overlap opportunities happen. And when that happens, life is organic and it's fluid and it's more of an adventure. And yes, there's adversity, but then there's some things to kind of get excited about each day. And just kind of let things move as they will. And I think that spontaneity is something that 
our structured lifestyles just, they don't fit for. Some of the best memories are in the unplanned times, Mm -hmm. right? Some of your Mm -hmm. greatest memories you're going to make are not when you're at a swimming lessons, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so just, um, I say embrace it and and try to live each day on purpose because God Mm -hmm. is using all of this, right? And connecting with him. He's using the hardships in ways that we don't see. And in fact, you are even a blessing to other moms. My sister-in-law went through a terrible divorce and she has um, two small, one was a toddler at the time. The other one was barely three, um, Mm. four, four. Yeah, two and four going through a terrible divorce, single mom. So how does she pick up the pieces and and go? And and God is using this to bring her back to him, I do believe, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. And and Mm -hmm. to to connect that family stronger um, with us surrounding families. So. And the truth is in a chaotic world, these things we do have control over. We do have control over how we care for ourselves, how we model that to our kids. But I do want to ask you in cases where we are changing things up and our kids are somewhat resistant, what guidance do you have in that situation? Yes. Okay. So the easy, the younger they are, the easier, right? They're like still clay. You can mold them. They're going to, those ones you have to really, um, tap into their desire to help, which may end up in a mess, but let them help. We have to get over that. They want to help you make that meal. And mm-hmm. it's going to be half on the floor, half on the plate where we're all going to eat. And that's okay. The older ones, it does become more challenging. But at the end of the day, I, I say, um, you know, I use a lot of prayer when they're, you know, I say quick prayers sometimes when they're giving me a, a lip service or something. And the older ones are really good at the excuses. And from my from my work in epidemiology, my work as a professor, I'm really seasoned at seeing the excuses and knowing because that's we get it all the time from students. Mm-hmm. So what I do is um, I already know, but if you haven't, if you have teenagers, um, a big one will be there. You're competing with their friends, right? And so you're gonna you're gonna have to choose your priorities and set them, and you're gonna have to be firm. And I say get thick skin because you actually mm-hmm. are the boss, though. A lot of times we feel like it's child-centered parenting. No, we have the final say. So um, I rule for my table because dinner is a big time for me. I want us to come as a family that's healing. Mm-hmm. And they will say, I'm not hungry. And I tell them, hunger is not a requirement to come to my that's table. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to learn these things that you'll say to them. Hunger is not a requirement. And they'll say, I have no time. But if you see how they eat, really, they will consume a meal in 10 minutes. So Mm -hmm. you have 10 minutes. It may take you longer to make it, Um, which, you know, there's, I have tips in my book on how you can even make a meal and um, in short time, but they're going to say these things and you have to get, you have to decide that you're in this to win it, right? You're Mm going to do this. It's the best for them. You're building resiliency that they're going to need in the long run. And so you're going to have to stick to it. And uh, a lot of times I pray and not all the time does it go how I would choose it to go. And that's okay. You know what? I get back up and I'm going to try again. And we try different ways. And I had to get over my own preconceptions of things like, you know, oh, that that they won't have time and homework is their priority. Right. I was like, no, not for meal. 10 minutes. You know, that, that is a priority. They, you know, you just kind of have to remind them, this is a gift you're giving them. Right. And they may not get in value it the older they are, but eventually they'll come back around and they're going to thank you that you took this time and you were that powerful force for good in their life. 
That's so good. And I think a big piece of this is there's this part of this, it's choosing your battles. And so something like, hey, we just all sit together for dinner is easier than saying, let's go for a walk together. For some of us, it might be the other way around, but it's, I think, picking the first place that you know this is easy to instill and then inviting them into other opportunities. But it's also that we get to do these for ourselves. And that's something you said earlier. This is not just for our kids. So that if your kids won't join you on a walk, for example, but let's say if they're not around or if you can get a babysitter and go for a hike, you come home and you might have some great pictures you take along the way, or you might have a great story and just say, wow, I did this and you'll feel great. But then it gives them something to say, okay, well, maybe next time she wants to go for a walk, I'll do it. You know, And it's just one of those things that sometimes we just model it and more or less with the consistency and the repetition just and as you said lots of prayer <laughs> hoping you know that that their hearts would soften and that they would draw closer in those instances eventually they cave they do because they're you know if it's me they're curious they're <laughs> eventually they cave and you get them and yeah you don't want to try to one thing i recommend don't try to implement all all at once a drastic change they're going to, they're going to like commit you. So they'll think you lost your mind. So slow, slow and steady will win the race. So good. Rhonda, you've given us some really incredible tips that I think, you know, we can just walk away right now today and just start something new. At the end of every interview, I asked the guests the same question. And it's, if there was just one thing that you would want a single mom to know, what would it be? Okay, so I started writing this and I had to cross out and then and then I realized I narrowed it down to two because the professor wants to give you homework, right? Sure. Uh, I can't I can't stop with one. I want you to have, you know, more than enough. But one of the things I want to really caution moms, um, as we go back to work, um, or even, you know, even if you've continued on working, um, being careful to watch for the extra work in work. Okay. So mm-hmm. when you go through this resiliency change and you want to do this, it's an investment for your family. And one of the first places bosses go when they want the extra projects taken on is they'll go to young moms or they'll go to moms because they know you guys are good at juggling. We see you juggle eight balls and they know we won't say no because we want to, you know, we want to please, we want to help. And, but I'm telling you, you've got to say no, they will find someone else. And, um, you know, one, one of the physician mom friends I had said, I wish you told me this before they asked me to become the director of the you know, department. I said, well, what does that mean? She said, now I take paperwork home with me after mm-hmm. seeing patients all day. Now she gets to do paperwork while she should be with her five-year-old. I said, tell them, go back and tell them you changed your mind. Mm-hmm. Say, right. Stay, stand firm and protect those boundaries. And especially around the meal times when they're going to want, oh, can you take more and do this? Be careful because you're investing in yourself and your family. And then my number two is be content. It's okay. Be content in the journey. Each day you're living on purpose, right? And there's going to be good times and bad times. Um, But this is a journey, right? It's not the end all be all. So you're journeying, your your life is this journey, right? And so is your children. And and don't forget to enjoy it, right? There's going to be happy times. There'll also be sad times, but really remember, you know, take time and enjoy this journey. It's going to, the kids will be gone before we know it. So don't forget. That's so valuable. I'm so grateful that you said that. Thank you. Rhonda, would you tell listeners about your book and how they can follow along with you? Okay, so my book is my my research and uh, my story of discovering the centenarians and the, the trauma they've overcome. It's called Raising Resilient Kids, 
And it's available on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or anywhere you find a book. And one of the things I recommend is if you get one and read it, if you can pass it on to someone who um, might not have the opportunity to get it so that we can pass the blessings and we can share and build. Um, my website, if you want to check me out, I'm on uh, www.drrondaspencer.com. Um, my name is spelled R-H-O-N-D-A-S-P-E-N-C-E-R. And my Facebook, you can follow me there. I go by my my married name is Rhonda Wong, H-W-A-N-G. Or my Twitter, because I like to keep it long, it's Rhonda Spencer Dash Wong, H-W-A-N-G, at Rhonda S-P Wong. So you can follow me anywhere. Drop me a line if you have questions about the book or just advice in general. You can all you can even email me at rspencerwong, rspencerwong at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you guys. And my prayer is that whatever I produce can be a blessing and help you. And I will put links in the show notes to make it easier for listeners to access all of those links. But thank you so much. It was great talking with you today. Thanks, Michelle. Take care. If you enjoyed this episode with Dr. Rhonda, I've got a couple others that you might enjoy as well. Check out episode 88, Anxiety in Our Kids, Identifying Worry and Giving Your Child the Tools to Thrive with Sissy Goff. Also, check out episode 83, Talking to Your Kids About Sex, Solutions for Single Moms with Dr. Danny Huerta. As we wrap up the conversation, I'd like to draw your attention to a couple of resources available for you in the show notes. The first is our guided scripture meditation that goes along with each and every episode that you can find at the Agape Moms YouTube channel. Also, there's a link there to follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Agape Moms and to join the private Facebook group, Beloved Collective. Lastly, if you'd like to spend some time reflecting in prayer on what you've learned in this episode, check out the link for our free podcast pages, journaling pages. Thanks for spending time with me today. I'm praying for you and that you would know that you are seen and you are beloved.